you ready for the word? You ready for the word? If you got your Bibles, you can go to Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter 4, we're going to start reading in verse 23. Acts 24, start reading in verse 23. Um, If you don't have your Bibles, no problem. You can follow along on the big Bible in the sky right behind me. Acts chapter 4, it says, as soon as they were freed. How do you know when it starts like that? There was a situation beforehand, (laughs) okay? As soon as they were freed. Peter and John returned to the other believers and told them what the leading priests and elders had said. When they heard the report, all the believers lifted their voices together in prayer to God. O sovereign Lord, creator of heaven and earth, the sea, and everything in them, you spoke long ago by the Holy Spirit through our ancestor David, your servant, saying, Why were the nations so angry? Why did they waste their time with futile plans? The kings of the earth prepared for battle. The rulers gathered together against the Lord and against his Messiah. In fact, this has happened here in this very city. For Herod, Antipas, Pontius Pilate, the governor, the Gentiles, and the people of Israel were all united against Jesus, your holy servant, whom you anointed. But everything they did was determined beforehand according to your will. And now, O Lord, hear their threats and give us, your servants, great boldness in preaching your word. Stretch out your hand with healing power. May miraculous signs and wonders be done through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. After this prayer, the meeting place shook, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Then they preached the word of God with boldness. Come on, let's pray one more time before we get into the Word. God, I pray that tonight you would open up our eyes to see more than we have ever seen, open our ears to hear more than we have ever heard, our minds to understand more than we've ever understood, and our heart to receive in a way that we have never received before. And God, we believe tonight that you can do miracles in us and through us. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. And everybody said, amen. Well, they did have a situation. Peter, and John had just been uh, released. They had, they had been arrested, and they were arrested for healing a man and then beginning to preach the good news of Jesus, and the religious leaders did not like that very much. Uh, uh, they were not for this happening, and so they arrested them. They brought them before the religious council, and they said, here is your punishment. You cannot preach in the name of Jesus any longer. And they said, whoa, 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 wait a minute. How can you tell us? Is it better for us to obey you or is it better for us to obey God? They were saying there is no way that this request is even going to remotely be fulfilled because God is the one who has touched us, changed us, and we are obligated to share this glorious story that has transformed our lives. And it said that they just looked at them and said, Okay, y'all can go. (laughs) Y'all can go. 
because they were scared to death of what would happen if they would have done anything to them because the scripture says that they were afraid that there would have been a riot because they had seen this man be healed, this man who had been lame for 40 years and they said the people saw it with their own eyes and if they came against Peter and John with the miracle that they had just seen, then they knew what was going to happen. They would have come to the Pharisees and said, when's the last time you did something like that? Who are you to judge? Who are you to say, I haven't seen anybody get up and walk? In the temple before now, there must be something to it. And so they, before the council, the, count, the council let them go, freed them, did not, did not hold them. And it says here that when they returned to the other believers, and we read that, that part, but, but we see the situation. I, here's what I want to point out about the situation is that uh, they have just stood before the religious council uh, and now they are leaving and it says when they returned to their other believers they told them what had happened and when they heard the report all the believers lifted their voices together in prayer. You know, I think sometimes after we come out of a situation like that instead of lifting our voice in prayer many times we lift our voice in complaint Instead of whenever we come out of the issues of our life and we come out of the difficulty and we come out of a meeting like this, instead of just lifting our voice to God and, and lifting our eyes to Him, we start lifting up our complaints to our friends. We start lifting up our complaints to our mom, complaints to our dad, complaints to our coers. We start lifting up our complaints instead of lifting up our prayers. And, 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 and we always, we, we, yeah, we're going to take it to God. But we're going to take it to God as a last resort. We're going to, we're going to take it to God when, there's no, when, there's no, when, when my friend's advice didn't work. I'm going to take it to God. Whenever, whenever, the, whenever the book I was reading didn't answer all my questions, okay, then I'm going to take it to God. When I've done everything that I could do, okay, then I'm going to take it to God. That's not what they did. They stepped right out of their situation, and it says the first thing that they did is they lifted their voices to God. They took their problem, they took their issue, and they took it directly to God. And it's a model for each and every one of us. When you've got an issue, don't go talk to everybody else around you about your issue and then decide, well, maybe I should pray about it. No, whenever you come out of an issue or step into a storm, the first thing you ought to do is you take it to God first. Now, you can go get great counsel from other people, and you can read great books, and you can go talk to people that got wisdom, but you ought to always take your issue to God first. It says they came out, and they went straight to prayer. If They, they had said, man, this is what happened, and they lifted their voices together. They prayed together. My question is, who's praying with you? Who's praying with you? Do you have anybody that's praying with you? Because they came together and they lifted their voice in one accord. It was a group of people that were in agreement and they were all looking to God together. Some of us are, are out there in a solo journey. And we're lifting our voice to God, but we don't have people around us lifting their voice to God. Do you know why we come to church? You don't just come to church to learn about God because you can sit at home and watch television and learn about God. You could go buy the book and learn about God. You could do a lot of things. There's podcasts. You could listen to every preacher from sea to shining sea all week long and learn about God. We come to church because it's the corporate worship of the believers that does something in our heart and it does something in our mind and it does something in our spirit that I can't get sitting at home 
home all alone watching a screen and, 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 and listening to a message through, through a headset. No, I come to church because something happens in the atmosphere. Something happens in the environment. And it's the same way in prayer. We come together in prayer together. Why? Because something happens when we do it together. There's something about corporate prayer. There's something about, and when I say corporate, I'm just meaning two or more. That's why Jesus says, where two or more are gathered. It's interesting that he didn't say, when you just pray by yourself. He said, when two or three are gathered. Wow. Because something happens when we come together and when we pray. And Peter didn't run off by himself. And John didn't run off by himself and lift his voice all alone. No, they came together with the other believers because something happens in the atmosphere when we all lift our voice to God. Something happens in worship whenever we come in and we just all start singing. You've been in a worship service probably in your life where you came into a church and People were singing on the stage, but everybody was just quiet out there in the audience, just watching. There's something different when people start participating. Something happens. I, I can't explain it, but something happens in the atmosphere. It, it's amazing. And then you go to a concert. Now, you go to church, and, and, and that happens, okay? The people on the platform are singing. Maybe there's just one solo, one person singing, and everybody else out there is just watching. So it's, it's one participator, a bunch of spectators. But then you go to a concert, and you go to the concert, and everybody in the whole place is singing. And the energy is through the roof. And you're like, man, I wish church was like this. Well, church would be like this if everybody just sang. I mean, it's, it's, it, it doesn't matter. You go country, you go pop, you go right. Everybody's singing a song and everybody's singing together. Something happens in the atmosphere when there is unity. Something happens in the atmosphere when we are singing. And whenever we come into church and we want a great worship experience, we have to lead that experience by lifting our voice, each and every one of us. It doesn't matter if you can sing good or not. We've got a responsibility to proclaim the name and lift up our voice to God. There is, there is no asterisk in your Bible that says only if you have a beautiful voice. I mean, I get nervous down here on the front row. Because I start singing so loud. And then I, then I start wondering, I wonder if Taylor can hear me standing right here. Because she might break character up here. You know, she's just singing and worshiping. I'm always thinking she's going to hear me and be like, ooh, what is that? That's a, that ain't even a joyful noise. That's something else happening over there. Well, we have, a, we have a responsibility when we come into the sanctuary to lift up our voice together. Why? Because something happens when we do it together and you may not have known but when you come in and you lift your voice you could be the key to the person's breakthrough right next to you whenever you come in and you lift your hands and you engage God the person behind you could be receiving the benefit of you coming in and lifting up your voice and lifting up your faith and lifting up your prayer and lifting up your hands and they're going to get a breakthrough in their life because you came in and you lifted your voice why because something happens when we pray together. We worship together. When we sing together. When we declare God's greatness, something happens. 
And there's no doubt they've, they've, they've got some problems. I mean, they've got some problems. They, they, they just performed a miracle. Jesus healed this man and the man that was outside of the gate called Beautiful in Acts chapter 3. And he gets up and walks and, and it's, a, it's a miracle. And they've got all the, this stuff going on right now. Now they've got the religious council. Now they've, they've got some issues because you would think, man, surely everybody would be excited about a miracle. Uh, I mean, it don't matter how religious you get. Don't you think you would be excited if somebody that you knew, that, that you had walked past, this person, this was not their first time to sit outside of this gate. They had walked by this man for years and years and years, and now this man is walking. Don't you just think for a second that you would just be excited about what had happened? No, that 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 would that never even crossed their mind. They took him before, and they were just concerned about the method. They were concerned about the name that they were using, and they begin to persecute them. They begin to question them. They begin to back them in a corner, and and now now they've really got a problem because they said, "Listen, if you go out there and you keep preaching in this name, then we're going to have to arrest you. We're going to have to throw you in prison." Now, we, we know what ended up happening to, to all the disciples uh, uh, that, that, are, that are mentioned there. 11, 11 out of the, the, the 12 disciples, they, they, all, they all died. They were all martyred. They were martyrs. They all died they, uh, different ways. Some were, were beaten with clubs. Some were thrown off uh, of high buildings. Others were, were speared. Uh, others were beheaded. Some were crucified. Some were crucified upside down. That, that, that was the fate of the disciples. The disciples understood that they were going to face persecution. They understood that there would be adversity. And so here they are facing it right here for the very first time. This is, this is the beginning of the book of Acts. This is the beginning of their story. And what do you do? whenever you encounter problems what do you do whenever you encounter difficulty what do you do what you have to do is you have to remind yourself and you have to remind your problem about the greatness of your God Amen. that's what they did <laughs> they, 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 they took their problem they lifted their voice and it says oh sovereign Lord right there in verse 24 oh sovereign Lord creator of heaven and earth the sea and everything in them Right, they just, they just, they, they took their problem and they threw it right up there to God and they said, "Whoa, uh, that that problem, it, it looked, it looked intense, man. Those Pharisees, they look mean, man. That 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 verdict they gave us seemed to be pretty intense. And then they compared it with the greatness of God and they said, Creator of heaven and earth and the sea and everything. And then they said, Oh, wait a minute, no, our God is way bigger than the religious council." Our God, our God is way bigger than their decision. Our God is way bigger than what they asked us to do. Our God is so big. And so that's what we have to do. We have to remember. We have to remember who God is, and we have to remember who is ultimately in control. And that's what happens whenever we pray. Now, I've got a little acrostic for the word pray. I can't remember when I came up with this. I can't remember how I came up, but it is always stuck in my mind. And so whenever, whenever you're going to pray, uh, these are things that your prayer should be. Your, your, your prayer should be personal. is the one that made me feel like my heart was about to <laughs> I, got, I got so nervous up here at worship and, and I literally felt like oh god my heart is coming out of my <laughs> I thought I was going to die right here <laughs> right here on the, on the pulpit it's not a better way to go okay let's get back to it prayer pray 
Pray. The acrostic for pray, personal. Your, your, your prayer ought to be personal. It ought to be personal. It ought to be you talking to God. You, your prayer doesn't have to sound the way that my prayer sounds. Your prayer doesn't have to sound the way, uh, that, or, or doesn't have to be out of a book. Your prayer doesn't have to. No, it's you conversing with God. It should be personal. When you talk to God, it should sound like the way that you talk. It should be personal. It, it, and the, the R is for remember. Whenever you pray, you should always remember. You should remember all the things that God has done. You should remember the grace of God. You should remember the goodness of God. You should remember his mercy. You, you should remember his acts of kindness. You, you need to remember. The A is for ask. You need to ask God. That's what God said. God says you have not because you ask not. You need to ask God. Whenever we go to pray, we can petition the Lord and we ask him, God, I need your help. God, I need your strength. God, I need your wisdom. God, I need you to come through. God, I need you to open this door. God, I need you to close this door. God, I need you to give me courage. God, I need you I need you to do these things. Ask. God says ask, ask, ask. He even uses the story of the, of, of the person going and knocking um, late at night wanting some bread and they say go away go away he said just keep on knocking and keep on asking and you'll eventually get what you want and it's just so don't be afraid when you ask the first time and you don't get it just keep on asking Jesus is the one that told that story if you ever start feeling bad be like Jesus you're the one that said the story you know I mean just keep asking the the, the why and pray is for yield. And many times we're, 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 we're pretty good at making it personal and we're pretty good at remembering what God has done and we're pretty good at asking. But then you get to the why and prayer is all about yielding. When you get up out of prayer, it ought to be like Jesus got up out of the Garden of Gethsemane and saying, God, it's not my will, it's your will. Because many times we pray our will, okay, not, not, not even selfishly, not even selfishly. We're praying and we're praying for what maybe we believe to be God's will, okay, but, but, but at the end, it's really, it's really our will. It's kind of what we're hoping. It's what we're wishing for. And we're praying along, that, along those lines. That's why every prayer, we need to end with God. But it's not my will. It's your will. That's what I want to be done. And you've got to yield to that. So what happens when what you prayed for doesn't come to pass and it's another direction? Are you yielded to that direction? Are you yielded to where God wants to take you? And that's what prayer thats what prayer is all about. And so that's just a little acrostic. I'm, I'm not even going to charge you for that tonight. That was free. That's uh, just a little acrostic. Uh, uh, but you have to remember. You have to remember who's in control. You have to remember who's in control. And, and, and I love when they go back and they say, God, you, you spoke long ago. And they go back to the word. You know, that's what you always have to go back to. They go back to what God had spoken through David. And that's what you've got to always, you've always got to go back to the word of God. When you're facing your problems, when you're facing your difficulty, you have to always go back to the word. What did God say? And God said, you will have trouble. But he said, take heart because I I have overcome the world. He go back to the word and you see that God said, no weapon formed against me shall be able to prosper. You just have to go back to the word and you go back to the word and God says, you put the armor of God on and when you put on the breastplate of righteousness and you put on the belt of truth and you put on the helmet of salvation and you put your, uh, the gospel of peace on your feet and you take up the sword of the spirit and the shield of faith, then every arrow that the enemy shoots your way is going to be extinguished. You always have 
have to go back to the word. And it doesn't matter what threat is coming against you. God has already prepared you in such a way that whenever you're suited up in the armor, the plan of the enemy is not going to prevail in your life because God has given you what you need to overcome. But you have to go back to the word for that. You can't trust your own feelings. You can't trust your own emotion. You can't trust, well, I'm just going to have to figure it out on my own. No, you go back to the word. You do exactly what the disciples, what these apostles did. They just went back to the word and they said, God, this is what you spoke. We're hanging on to your word. We're hanging on to your word because we know that your word is true. And so they, they've got the situation and they go back to the word. And then it says, this is coming to pass right now. And they said in verse 28, but everything they did was determined. They said, God, this is coming to pass. Herod, Pontius Pilate, the Gentiles, the people of Israel, they were united against Jesus, your holy servant, whom you anointed, God. Then verse 28, it says, but everything they did was determined beforehand according to your will. Woo. That means some trouble that you're going to face is right in line with the will of God. I, I know it's hard to get some amens on that. Because you're like, for real? What happened to the joy of the Lord being my strength? You know what I mean? That's what I came to church. But no, let me just tell you. Sometimes there will be adversity in your life because God is trying to get something out of you or he's trying to get something in you and the only way he can get it out of you or the only way he can get it in you is to put you right in the middle of the fire, right in the middle of the storm, right there in the middle of a situation and it's there in the middle of the situation that you are going to grab a hold of a truth that's going to change your life forever, get a hold of a revelation that's going to carry you for the next 20, 30, 40 years of your life and you wouldn't have got it if you would not have walked through the trouble. And so what they said is they said, God, this trouble that we're experiencing right now, this adversity that we're facing, the obstacles that we're running up against, God, this was proclaimed by you and it's according to your will. You see, everything that you face in life is not always the enemy. It's not always the devil doing something. That's why whenever you face a burden, you, you've got to say, God, are you trying to get my attention here? God, are you trying to say something to me? Are you trying to redirect me right now? Or, or are you trying to show me something about myself? Or are you trying to use this to, to form me and to mold me and to make me? God, is this, is this, is this you right now doing something in me? This is what they said. They said, God, this was, this was according to your will. This has already been determined beforehand. And they go to verse 29. They said, and now, O Lord, said, hear their threats and give us your servants great boldness in preaching your word. Man, they said, I want you to hear their threats. I want you, I want you to hear what they said to us. And I want you to give us boldness. They didn't say, make them stop. They said, make us strong. So many times we, we want it to stop. God's like, no, I want to make you strong. And you're like, but no, God, I want it to stop. And God's like, I'm not going to stop it because I want to make you strong. 
And if I stop it, you're not going to be made strong. You get to stay exactly where you are. And so I'm going I'm to let it keep going because I want to make you strong. And, and instead of praying, God, God, make it stop. God, make it quit. Make it end. We got to be praying like the apostles here. And we got to pray, God, make us strong in the midst of it. And they said, uh, they, 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 they just pray. They said, give us boldness. I love it. They said, you know, if you look at it, they're, they're not saying God, uh, God calls us to be protected. They're saying God calls us to be powerful. God calls us to be powerful. God, we're more concerned about being strong and being bold and being powerful than we are even our own lives. It says, stretch out your hand with your healing power. May miraculous signs and wonders be done through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. After this, the meeting place shook, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Then they preached the word of God with boldness. After this prayer, the meeting place shook. You know, the problem too many times is that we, we wait until our life is shaken to pray instead of praying until our life is shaken. The disciples prayed and their life was shaken. So many times we, we let life come in and shake us up and stir us up. And we, 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 let, uh, we let things come in. And now we're like, oh, man, i got to get back to praying again. No, no, no. The apostles said, we're going to beat it. We're going to pray so much. We're going to pray until our life is shaken. It says after they prayed, they, they were filled with the Holy Spirit. They preached the word of God with boldness. They were filled with the Holy Spirit. You know, being filled with the Holy Spirit is not once-in-a-lifetime experience. Being filled with the Holy Spirit doesn't just happen on a revival weekend or, or a retreat at a, at, a, at, a, at a retreat center. No, no, no. You, you, you get filled, and, and then you get filled, and then you get filled again, and then you get refilled again, and you are constantly being filled with the Holy Spirit because this, this was not their first encounter with the Holy Spirit. They were already filled with the Holy Spirit just a couple pages before in Acts chapter 2, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit right there, and they all spoke in other tongues. And then you get over here, and it says they were filled with the Holy Spirit. It's not like they went backwards and had to do it again. No, it's because the Holy Spirit wants to constantly fill us up. Why? Because we have a leaking problem. We just, we just leak the Holy Spirit out. Hey, you know it's true. Some of y'all got those guilty grins out there. I see it. It's just a guilty grin. It's like, mm, okay, you got me, Pastor. You're right. It sneaks out. That's why we got to be refilled. That's why we got to be refilled and refilled and refilled with the Holy Spirit. And listen to what happens after they are filled with the Holy Spirit. It says, then they preach the word of God with boldness. They were filled. They had boldness. They were filled with the Holy Spirit. They had boldness. They were filled with the Holy Spirit. They were, they were the same, but they got filled with the Holy Spirit, and now they had a new boldness. They, so the, the, the boldness didn't come from them. The boldness came from the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit is bold. The Holy Spirit is bold. The Holy Spirit has no fear. The, the, the Holy Spirit 
has no doubt. There is no uncertainty in the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is bold. They were filled and they became effective. That is cause and effect. And it will do the same in our lives. When we are filled with the Holy Spirit, then we can be effective. When we are filled, we can be bold. Why? Because the Holy Spirit is bold. It is who he is. And whenever he is, whenever we are filled with the Holy Spirit, we are bold, we are courageous. Whenever we're filled with the Holy Spirit, then we can do what only the Holy Spirit can do through us. Uh, let me just give you three quick truths as we kind of wrap this up tonight. Three quick truths about boldness. Three truths about boldness. Here's number one. Boldness is courageous, not obnoxious. Boldness is courageous, not obnoxious. The Bible says in, in 1 Corinthians 10, Paul is writing, this is in the Amplified translation. It says, do not offend Jews or Greeks or even the church of God, but live to honor him. Just as I please everyone in all things as much as possible, adapting myself to the interests of others, not seeking my own benefit, but that of the many, so that they will be open to the message of salvation and may be saved. You know what some of us think boldness looks like? And I don't mean some of us because we're North Point community people. We're Christ-centered culture changers. But, but some other people out there who think boldness looks like telling somebody off. Boldness looks like me taking a stand and putting my Bible in your face and telling you how wrong you are and how sinful you are and telling you that you're going to burn in hell. They think that boldness is when I take my stand and I let everybody know where I stand. And they said, that's boldness. No, that's being obnoxious. Paul said, I'm not interested in being obnoxious. He said, don't, don't go out there just to offend the Greeks. Don't go out there just to offend the Jews. Don't go out there just to offend the Gentiles. Don't go out there to offend the church. Don't go out there just to offend anybody. He says, but instead, try to honor him. Because offending everybody else intentionally does not honor him. But sometimes we feel like it's, it's an easy thing to do. And then I pat myself on the back. I mean, look at the stand that I took for God. No. You just push people away from God. Paul goes on and he says, this is what I do. I get down on people's level. Why? So that I might have the opportunity to see them saved so that their heart might be open to receive what I have to say. Do you know that that is real boldness? Real boldness is getting with somebody who doesn't believe like you, who doesn't know God like you know God, who's just lived their own life for themselves, maybe even dabbled in a little uh, false God worship that may maybe they've tried some other things maybe they say they're atheist then they're agnostic and then they don't know what in the world to believe and maybe they're investigating Scientology and following Tom Cruise I don't know what they're doing but here they are and and do you know what real boldness looks like hey tell me about your story tell me about your spiritual journey tell me about this tell me tell me about your life how old were you when this happened how old was it that takes real boldness because you, you know why that takes boldness because she's gonna say some things that you don't have any answers to and you got to sit there and you got to depend on the Holy Spirit. You know what takes no boldness? Me throwing up a Bible and saying, if you just believed in this book, your life would be better. You're going to burn in hell if you don't believe in Jesus Christ and walk away and go, ah, I feel so good about myself. That's obnoxious. Boldness is sitting down and meeting her where she is and trusting that the Holy Spirit can move through you in a way that you don't even understand to draw her from where she is to the foot of the cross, that 
it, that is what the power of the Holy Spirit will do. That is true boldness because that takes courage. And that's what the Holy Spirit gives you. The Holy Spirit gives you courage. Courage is about the result. Courage is not about the response. Courage is about the result. I, what is my result? That's what Paul was writing there. And he said, I want my result to be that she might be saved. That's the result I'm going after, that her heart might be open, that her eyes might be open, that she might see something in me that draws her to Jesus. He says, that's what I'm going after, but you don't get it if you're offending people. You don't get it if you're being obnoxious. They turn and they walk away from the most precious thing that they could ever walk away from being Jesus. But whenever I come down and I say, Holy Spirit, make me bold, give me courage to meet her right where she is, and she's going to say some things that I don't have any answers to. She's going to ask some questions that I, that I can't answer. She's going to say some things that I don't know how to respond to, but I'm just going to meet her where she is. But the only way I can do that is being filled with the Holy Spirit. Boldness. Boldness. Truth about boldness. It is courageous. It is courageous. You know, Jesus told us to be fruitful, not foolish. Be fruitful, not foolish. Being obnoxious is being foolish. Jesus said, no, I want you to be fruitful. Paul's telling us how to be fruitful. You're fruitful whenever you get down there and you connect with people right there where you are. You're fruitful when you follow the pattern of Jesus. Jesus sitting there with tax collectors and, and the Bible says notorious sinners. That the writer of that gospel had, had to include that adjective. I want you to know the people here now, they weren't just like kind of sketchy. They were like the mafia, okay? I mean, like that, notorious sinners. I need you to know. And, and, the, and, and one, one of the... In one of, the, uh, one of the Gospels, it says that, that, that after Jesus had shared this meal with the tax, collector, tax collectors and the sinners, that he reclined at the table. And I heard a preacher talking about the posture of reclining at the table, meaning that I am totally comfortable with my surroundings right now. And the, and the tax collectors, and, and, excuse me, and the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the religious leaders, they looked in and they saw that and, and they said, how could he do that? And Jesus was just re re reclining, saying, I'm comfortable with my surroundings. Why? Because Jesus understood that that's what being filled with the Holy Spirit looks like because that's real boldness, getting into their world and believing that what you have is greater than what they have and you don't have to be obnoxious to get them to turn their heart and to turn their life around and the only way that happens is with real boldness, which is courage. Here's the second thing. The boldness is Christ-centered, not self-centered. Boldness always has to be Christ-centered and not self-centered. In Acts chapter 1, verse 8, Jesus tells the disciples this, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Jesus said, whenever the Holy Spirit comes and you get bold, you will be my witness. He said, everything you say is going to be about me, not about you. You will be my witness. You will tell people about how great I am, not how much life you have figured out. 
you will tell people what I can do for you. You will not tell people about how much money is in your bank account. You will tell people about how I saved you. You will not be telling people about the new car that you just purchased and they need to come take a ride with you. Why? Because it is about being Christ-centered. That's what boldness does, and, and it allows us uh, to be his witness. He says, you'll be telling people about me everywhere. Now he goes strategically talking about Jerusalem where they were, and then he begins to work out to Samaria and Judea and the ends of the earth, and so we get that. But, but just, just, just leave it at everywhere. For us today, he said, you'll be telling people about me everywhere. That's what real boldness looks like. Real boldness looks like you, you standing at the line at Kroger and you just saying, hey, I would love for you to come to church with me because I, I can't tell you what God has done in my life, man. I, I don't know where you are in your faith journey, but, man, I tell you what, my life was, was really messed up before I met Jesus. And, and uh, God's done so many amazing things. I would love for you to be my guest sometimes. And I, I'd, I'd take you out for coffee before, take you out for lunch after. I'd love for you to join me on that. You see, that, that's what boldness looks like. Christ-centered. So I am his witness. I'm not talking to people, ah, what do you think, what do you think about what's going on out there in the weather? It's January, 78 degrees. It was 78 below three days ago. <laughs> I mean, we went, from, we went from Alaska to Africa three days, didn't travel anywhere, right here. That's self-centered. That's what you want to talk about. Jesus said, None of the, when the Holy Spirit fills your life, you're going to be Christ-centered. You're going to be, you're going to be my witness. You're going to talk about me, and you're going to talk about me everywhere that you go. I'm not going to be self-centered. We're going to do it his way. And here's the third thing, the third truth about boldness. The third truth about boldness is that boldness is necessary, not secondary. Boldness is not optional for us. You don't get to say, well, that's not really in my personality, because the Holy Spirit is not a personality. <laughs> the Holy Spirit is a person, and he's a person that fills you, and your personality will always take a back seat to the person of the Holy Spirit. Say, well, I'm, I'm more of an introvert. I'm more of an introvert. You know, I've done all those tests, Pastor. I've taken all those personality tests, and every one of them tell me that, like, I'm, I'm better off just, like, crammed back in the corner, accountant, not talking to anybody, you know, like, just minding my own business, you know, just head down, doing the work, grinding it out. It's the people thing that kind of gets me. So I just, I just, you know, boldness isn't really my thing. Well, it doesn't matter if boldness is your thing. Boldness has always been the Holy Spirit's thing. And, and in all of our lives... When we are filled with the Holy Spirit, boldness is necessary. It is not secondary because here's what you need to understand is that when Jesus threw out the Great Commission in Matthew chapter 28 and he said, I want you to go into all of the world. I want you to preach the gospel. I want you to make disciples. I want you to baptize people in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. I want you to teach people about what I have taught you. I want you to carry my name. I want you to, I want you to turn this world upside down for the kingdom of God. He wasn't like, but before we do that, can you take the personality test? I just want to make sure you got the right temperament to make it happen. No. Jesus threw it out there, and he threw it out there for us all. But here's the great news. Jesus didn't leave it up to you because Jesus knew there'd be some introverts, and Jesus knew there'd be some accountants in the world. Jesus knew there'd be some people that they're not, the people thing is not their best thing. 
And you say, I knew that would happen. That's why I'm not leaving it up to you. I'm not leaving it up to your skill set. I'm not leaving it up to your gifting. I'm not leaving it up to you. I'm going I'm to give you the Holy Spirit. And when the Holy Spirit fills your life, the Holy Spirit is the one that will make you bold. The Holy Spirit is the one that will make you courageous. And being filled with the Holy Spirit is, ne- is never secondary. It is always necessary to fulfilling the will of God. And so it doesn't matter about your personality. It's always about the person of the Holy Spirit. And he is the one that can cause you to do things that you can't do on your own. It's the Holy Spirit. Boldness. It's necessary. It can never be secondary. And why, why, should, we, why should we be bold? Why should we be bold? And Philip, you can come to the keys. Because this is what it says in verse 30 of Acts chapter 4. It says, stretch out your hand, as they're praying. Stretch out your hand with healing power. May miraculous signs and wonders be done through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. You see, boldness is necessary. It can never be secondary. Why? Because we need the miracle working power of Jesus right here in this city. We need the miracle working power of Jesus right there in your workplace. We need the miracle working power of Jesus right here in this sanctuary. This is where we need the miracle working power of Jesus. But how many of you understand we're not going to see the miraculous signs and we're not going to see the wonders that God wants to do if we are not filled with the Holy Spirit and saying, No, boldness is necessary. It can't be secondary in my life. Boldness has got to be at the front of my life. Why? Because there's miraculous signs that God wants to do, and I've got to partner with God, and I've got to be bold to see them happen. God wants to do miracles. God wants to do signs and wonders. But we got to be ready to pray some bold prayers. You know, some, sometimes courage, we say, it's courageous, it's not obnoxious. But you know, sometimes courageous is a little crazy. There's a difference between being crazy and being obnoxious. You know that, you know, you, that I'm not just obnoxious. And you know, we all think in mental pictures. You're the person's face in your mind when I said that. I know you do. But sometimes courageous does look a little crazy. Think about Jesus being out on the water. The disciples right there in the boat, and they're in the middle of the storm. They look up and they see Jesus walking across the water, and they thought he was a ghost. They thought he was the ghost that was coming to take their souls. I said, oh, this is it. It's over. And Jesus says, ah, it's me. Don't worry. Peter says, if it's really you, I think maybe hoping he was going to say, no, it's not really me. He said, if it's really you, tell me to come out there to you. He said, come on. (laughs) Not what I was expecting. And he steps out of the boat. Now that's crazy. That's crazy. I don't know if you've ever tried to walk on water. It don't work. Peter was a fisherman. It's not like his first, it's not like his first rodeo out there. 
He's been in this water. I was like, he knows. You drop some in the water, it sinks. Sometimes courageous is a little crazy. It's not obnoxious, it's just crazy. It's, it's bold. It's bold. And in all of our lives, there's going to come a moment for boldness, and it, it might feel crazy to you, but the crazy that you feel is going to take you to the miraculous of God. Because so he stepped out of the boat, and he starts walking on the water. And hey, you know the story, he sees the wind and the rain, and he freaks out. He starts drinking. You know, now he's drowning. He's going under the water. Cries out, Jesus, help me. And Jesus goes, pulls him right up out of the water. You know, often, and I, I know I say this a lot, but you know, we, we get on and we really, we can really get on all Simon Peter and all the dumb things that he said and had a, he had a, a reputation for putting his foot in his mouth and saying the wrong thing and, you know, stepping out of the boat and sinking and we can preach sermons about that and he lost his, he got distracted and he lost his faith. He's still the only person I know that ever walked on water. And don't tell me for a moment that that experience didn't impact him all the way to his death. Because he was bold. He had crazy courage in a moment. And that one moment of crazy courage, that one moment of boldness, he never forgot that. You know, there'll be moments in your life just like that moment. And if, you, if you're bold and you have courage in that moment, it will, it will minister to you for the rest of your life. It'll be a story that you tell for the rest of your life. You can always look back and you can see, wow, this was a miracle. It was a sign and it was a wonder. But you would have never experienced it without boldness. A moment of crazy courage. See, that's why it's so important that we be filled up with the Holy Spirit. Because when that moment comes I've got to respond with courage I've got to respond with crazy courage I've got to be bold in that moment it has to happen it's necessary it can't be secondary because there's there's miracles waiting on the other end there's signs and wonders that God wants to do in your family that God wants to do in your neighbor's life there's signs and wonders miracles that God wants to do, but they only happen when somebody is willing to step out and go, I'll take that step of courage. I'll be bold. I'll be bold. I'll have that conversation. I'll say that prayer. I'll have that dinner with them. I'm going to be bold stepping out to somewhere that I've never stepped out before.